And sometimes, I've talked about this before, but sometimes we can approach the Bible and miss the, the bigger picture of what's being taught, the fullness of what is there. Sometimes we can, we can open our Bibles and we read this little snippet here, and then we open it another time, we read this snippet, or we hear a sermon and we hear this verse and that verse, and in the end, we, we fail to see the connectedness of all of Scripture. Well, we've been moving through the book of Philippians, which is a single letter that Paul wrote to the churches in Philippi. As just with any letter that you would ever write, I know we don't handwrite many letters today, but even an email, is you have a general direction that you're going with the whole letter. You're, you're saying something. And oftentimes, even within the whole letter itself, you may have a section where you talk about a specific point. You could say a subtopic or a subconversation within the whole letter. Well, that's kind of what we've been looking at for the past three weeks, this being the third week. We're, we're finishing up this, this smaller conversation that Paul was having in the middle of his full conversation of the book of Philippians. It started with Paul talking about two ladies who were, well, they were in conflict. They were having an argument. And we're not told the details of that, but he would encourage them to get, to get along, to get past their differences. He didn't stop there. He encouraged the congregation to come alongside them, to help them in their differences, to get past that, to move on. And he went on from there to teach about how it is that uh, when we, we, we put our, our perspectives in the right place, it changes things. And how it is that fear can fuel the, uh, uh, the conflict, uh, the fear of maybe being overlooked, or the fear of uh, feeling insignificant, or whatever the case may be. But there is that aspect of fear that comes in, and he tells us, told them, tells us, to instead focus in on God, to focus on practicing the presence of God, and in recognizing that everything revolves around that relationship. And he said, rejoice in the Lord. Rejoice in your relationship with Christ. And from that, you'll begin to find out how better to uh, work through those interpersonal conflicts that we find. And then today, as we're looking at, he finishes this segment of his conversation with one final instruction that will aid them in overcoming their interpersonal conflicts. You see, the world isn't supposed to be the way that it is. The world is not supposed to be full of all the conflict that it's full of. It's not supposed to have all the division and the disunity and, you know, from individuals as well as communities and, and the country or the world. Those, those conflicts are not supposed to be there. That's not God's original design. He designed us for something better than that. And what we're looking at today, this final segment here, Paul's teaching, or God is teaching us through Paul, how to live the way that God designed, how to overcome those conflicts that we face. One last piece, one last segment uh, is teaching on this. So let's jump in. Philippians chapter 4, verses 8 and 9. If you get your Bible, that's where we're at. Following along on the YouVersion app, the verses are listed there, but they'll also be on the screen. So Paul wrote this. Philippians 4, verses 8 and 9. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Whatever you have learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put into practice, and the God of peace will be with you. 
So in 2 Corinthians chapter 10, Paul challenged the Christians there in Corinth to take every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. Thoughts matter. Thoughts are important. What we think about is who we are. What runs through our mind shapes everything that we do. Thoughts shape our emotions. They shape our words. Everything that we do is shaped by what goes through our minds. It's a lot like that that phrase, you are what you eat. Well, you are what you think. What you think on, where your mind goes, what you dwell on, where, where your mind rests at, all of that, it shapes who we are. And by the power of the Holy Spirit, Paul knew this reality. He understood that what we think about is what ends up shaping what we do. And so he understood about this interpersonal relationship aspect and how it is that what we think about shapes those relationships that we have. If you want better relationships, if you want to be able to get past conflict, to be able to resolve it a little bit faster, well then consider what you think about And see, this is another one of those areas that we have to choose to make God greater than. We have to choose to view God as greater than what we would think about as we align our thoughts. The direction of our life will begin to come into play. It'll it'll fall into line where it should be. And we will want what God wants. And this... This, in, this changing of what we think about, it is an intentional thing. It doesn't just happen. What we think about in terms of what just happens, what comes naturally if we don't intentionally take our thoughts captive, well, that's where our mind goes when we get into those tasks, when we do those things that don't require us to directly think about it. You know, Henry Ford is credited as of saying that uh, thinking is hard. That's why most people don't do it. Thinking is hard work. Choosing to place our mind someplace and not just allow our mind to go wherever, but choosing to direct our mind, to keep it where it should be. That's what thinking is about. It means choosing to, where to let our mind rest, where not to let it rest. And you know what I mean here. And you know when you get up to the sink and you start doing the dishes and your mind just kind of wanders? You hop in the car to run to the store and you drive those familiar streets to the familiar store and you get there and you don't remember the drive. You get into those mindless tasks and your mind just kind of floats off wherever. To choose to direct the course of our mind, our thoughts, it's to take even that time frame, those activities, and put our mind someplace. It is focusing our attention where it should be. So where does your mind go when you're not actively engaged in a task that requires your thinking? Life's full of all sorts of stuff to think on. Always has been. Hasn't really changed over the course of history. Now, I love it when people tell me, and they talk about yesteryear, pick them on a time back, doesn't really matter. And they talk about yesteryear and how it was so much better back then. I I love to argue with them on that point because I read a lot of different books from a lot of different eras, even beginning of the century and on up to current time. And I read books from different time frames in there, and I see that it was not necessarily better back then. For example, one of the books that I, I used as part of my research for today's sermon, it's a book that was published in 1933, okay? In that 
this section, the author is talking about the principles that Paul talked about here in this section of Scripture. He had this to say. Keep in mind, okay, this was published in 1933. He said this. They, that's these principles Paul gave in this verse, they are pertinent now so much they are pertinent now when so much filth is flaunted before the world in books, magazines, and moving pictures under the name of realism, the slime of the gutter and the cesspool. Okay, that's what he said in 1933. In other words, let's just look at it realistically here. Times haven't changed that much. Oh, we, we, we do things a little different now than maybe they did then, but you know what? It has always been this way. And Paul knew that reality way back then, 2,000 years ago. He knew even then that there are places our mind can wander off to. There are things we can put our mind into that maybe we shouldn't. Those things where our mind can go may not be the best for us. Things haven't changed all that much. There always are, are and always will be things for us to rest our mind on. So, the question is, what do we allow into our mind? Where do we allow our mind to stay? All of that matters if we want life to be better now. If we want to experience a piece of what God has in store for us now. So let's, let's pick apart Paul's verse here, the, the section in Philippians 4, verses 8 and 9, and look at each of these different um, uh, words, the, these different uh, perspectives or, or uh, different parts of it that he's talking about here. Different principles for us to learn from. So first of all, he said, think about whatever is true. This word is pointing to whatever is real as opposed to whatever is imaginary. So in this last section, when Paul says, finally, think on these things, he starts by pointing back to what we talked about last week. Remember how we talked about last week, that how in uh, worry, what we are doing is we are creating an imaginary, a fictitious, possible future, and then treating it as if it is real. And it's the same as if someone were to tell you that they, were, they are afraid Batman's enemies are out to get them. That if you heard someone say that, you would know something was wrong. Well, Paul's pointing to that. Just think about what is real, what is true. It's insanity to live in and worry about a fictitious world. Well, Paul starts by pointing back to that. He's teaching that when we dwell on things, when our mind goes to things... We need to make sure that reality is at, the, is at the forefront of that thinking process. It is, it is looking at things as they really are. Looking at the, the realities of life. Not just seeing part of it. Not lying to ourselves. You know what I'm talking about here with this as well, don't you? It's how when a situation develops, how we just have a natural tendency to choose to see only one side of the argument. Maybe it's our side, maybe it's a friend's side or a loved one's side. We choose to see the argument from one side, and we choose not to see the other side. See, thinking on what's true is choosing, forcing ourselves to open our eyes and our mind to the reality of the full picture. To choose to see maybe things a little bit different. Maybe looking at what we're doing and not trying to candy coat it. 
but acknowledging that what we're doing really is that bad, that it really is sin in some areas. Or situations really are as bad as they are. I'm not trying to candy coat, but, but looking at the reality of something. To think on what is real is to open our eyes to the realities of life. It's as I just said, it is choosing to look at both sides of a discussion or an argument rather than just our side. It is to confess that what we are doing really is sin and we shouldn't continue in it. It is try to see things as they are, not as we want them to be. Think about what is true. He went on and he said, think about whatever is noble. Noble thoughts are those pertaining to appropriate or befitting behavior for the Christ follower. They are things that imply dignity and respect. They are thoughts about attributes and behaviors beyond the ordinary, but in a good way. Let me give a couple examples. It would be thinking about the heroic deed of, say, a soldier running into enemy fire in order to save his friends. Or the fireman running into a burning building to be able to pull some more people out. Or the police officer risking his life every day for the protection of his community. But you know, it's not just those larger things like that as we would measure larger. It's also even some of the what we would maybe consider the everyday ordinary stuff. Things like the parent or the grandparent who sacrifices themselves to invest into their kids or their grandkids to make sure that they've got something better for the future, that they become Christ followers themselves, healthy, active, participating members of society. It is the Christian who chooses to sacrifice of their, their finances or their time to serve other people, to put others first. It is the Christ follower also who, who maybe chooses to put their own desires aside so that the lost can be found. You see, all of those things are part of admirable and praiseworthy things. All of those things are things that we should be thinking about. Noble things, in other words. Paul is teaching that we are to think about what is appropriate and befitting behaviors that we as Christ followers are to have. Paul elsewhere had written that as Christ followers, we are to live a life that is worthy of the calling we have received. In other words, it's looking at what Jesus did for us and saying, I need to live a life. Not because I want to earn anything, but because this is what I should do as a Christ follower. This is an expression of my love. I need to live a life that is worthy of what Jesus did for me. We are to live a life worthy of the calling we have received. We learn what that looks like. We learn what that worthy life is like and what then it is that we are to be thinking about as we look into the lives of those who have also followed Christ around us or gone before us. Most specifically, looking into the Bible. See, Paul ended this section here, the, the verse 9, where he said to look at his own life as an example. As he was following Christ, look at his life, what he's taught, what he's done, what's in him. Look at that stuff to see what is it in there that we can emulate. So look at the lives of the people around you, those who are Christ followers. What is it that they are doing that you could emulate, that I could emulate? And we have to understand, though, this is not about worshiping those people. It's not even about revering those people. Paul didn't say, revere me. 
remember me for me. Rather, look at what I'm doing. That's what we're looking at. Unfortunately, sometimes in, in churches across America, sometimes we, we miss this. And in an, maybe in an attempt to try to uh, look at what was noble, maybe what we end up doing is what often happens. Sometimes churches will build monuments and, and plaques and remembrance of people. They will put things up to remember people who have gone before. But the problem is we forget what the people did and the reasoning behind it, and all we remember is the people or the building or the activity or the program. And we focus in on that rather than what was behind it. And Paul here is saying, think about what is noble. Not the people, not the programs, not the building, but the why behind it. Why do we do what we do? Paul's teaching here. Follow his example. Follow the example of those who are following Christ. Think about what they are doing and why. And then work at emulating it. He also said to think about whatever is right. The word pertains to both right, a right relationship with God as well as right living. In terms of a right relationship, when the Old Testament, uh, Greek translation of the Old Testament used the word, it was pointing to uh, the ancient, uh, pointing to the Israelites. That when they were walking in obedience, when they were obeying God, they were in a right relationship. They were where they were supposed to be. In the, the New Testament, the words translated, um, or carries with it the idea of the right relationship uh, that we as Christ followers have, that how we have been placed into the right relationship with God because of Jesus' life, death, and resurrection. Thinking about whatever is right is dwelling on what that relationship looks like. It is meditating on how our life should be now in light of that relationship, in light of what God has done for us. Right living or righteousness flows from that right relationship. So Paul is saying here, think about the relationship, think about the implications of that, and think about how our life should be because of that relationship. He's teaching us that our minds should be filled with thinking about how to please God. When we get into those mindless tasks, we should be thinking about our lives and looking over our lives and asking the question, what can I do different? What needs to be changed so that my life honors God more? And we should do so because of our relationship with God. What should our attitudes be? Our feelings? Our actions? How should we be toward other people? How should we be and what should it look like being part of the body or the church? What does that look like? What should it be? Maybe what needs to change? What does it look like to put other people before ourselves as Christ followers? How can I be part of leading others to Christ? What do I need to sacrifice of myself so that somebody else can come to Christ? These and many other ways and things are things that we should be thinking about. And then adjusting our lives so that we can be that way. We need to think regularly about how to live in that right relationship. How to live righteously. How to be holy, in other words. He also said to think about whatever is pure whatever's pure. Pure thoughts are those that are without moral defect or blemish. In other words, they're pure. A Greek word translated as pure originally pointed to that which awakens awe in others. 
years back when Stephanie and I were dating, we were on a, a, a short road trip, day, a day-long road trip, and we stopped at a small town restaurant for lunch, and waitress came over and, to take our order, and she set our glasses of water down on the table. Now, one would expect that a glass of water would be pure. The water inside would be pure. And we typically wouldn't want to drink something that would be impure, would we? But when she set the glass down in front of me, the ice caused the water to swirl, and with the swirling ice, there were swirling floaties in there as well. The water was anything but pure. Needless to say, I wasn't so thirsty anymore. We expect water to be pure. That's the idea here. It's not allowing that garbage to float around in our mind, not allowing those floaties to be swirled up, but rather purifying what's there. Moral purity has a similar idea. It points to an inner disposition that we have, what we allow or don't allow into our mind and life. In many ways, it's a lot like that story of the dad who had some kids that wanted to go see a movie. Dad, knowing nothing about the movie, asked the kids, give me some details about it. So they told him a little bit about it, and they said there's just this little tiny bit of bad stuff that shouldn't be there. It's just small, it's not much at all, but it's there. He's like, okay, okay, why don't you guys go play before the movie? I'll make you some brownies before you leave. So he did. Set the brownies down on the table. Called the kids in. He says, now before you eat the brownies, I need to tell you a little bit about them. There's a special ingredient in there. It's not much. It's only a quarter teaspoon. He showed him a quarter teaspoon. Showed him it's not much. They're like, oh, okay. He said, the special ingredient makes all the difference here. He says, the special ingredient was what the dog left out in the yard. But it's just a quarter teaspoon. It's not much at all. Just a little bit. How much just a little bit do we allow into our life, into our mind? How much of that stuff that we would never eat those brownies, but how much of it do we allow in? How much of it do we allow to just kind of float around in our mind? All those impurities. To allow even a little bit of moral impurity in our life is like eating those brownies. And Paul challenges us here to think on whatever is pure. We know what is pure by reading God's Word, by reading the Bible. So choose to rest your mind on what is pure. Don't allow that just a little bit in there. Paul also said to think about whatever is lovely. This is not just sunsets, but rather the Word is pertaining to that which causes people to be pleased with something. It's the cause behind it aspect. And most specifically, as Paul's using it here, he's saying to think about what God calls lovely or beautiful. These are actions, activities, and emotions that honor God. These are things that bring about good in our life and other people's lives. Not bad. You know how sometimes when somebody irks you, you know, maybe it's at work or at the store, you know, somebody does something that just uh, grates on you a little bit. How you may, you may then go and have an argument with them in your head. I mean, you just, you just lay into them. You have it all out there with them. And you, you give them what have you and what for in your mind. And in the end, Maybe you feel a little bit better because you got it all out. And, and then you excuse what you did because, well, it was only in my mind. And if anybody says anything, you say, well, it's better than if I had said it to them in person. But if we are what we think, if what we think about, what we allow to rattle around between our ears, if that shapes everything we do, 
which it does, I guarantee then that will uh, flow over into the rest of life. It'll begin playing itself out. Maybe in that argument that we had in our heads, maybe we allowed some things that behaviors in our mind that shouldn't have been. Maybe we said things in our mind that we shouldn't have said. Maybe we felt things in our mind that we shouldn't have felt. We allowed things there that shouldn't be there. And over time, more often we do this, little bit by little bit, that stuff starts to creep out of our minds into the rest of life. And slowly we become the people that we were just in our mind. So we have to be careful what we think about. It matters. It shapes us. Maybe you allow, on a different note, maybe you allow sin in your, in your life, in your mind. It's only there. It's not really affecting anybody. I didn't do anything. But what goes on in our mind matters. What goes on in our mind, what we allow ourselves to dwell on, if we're dwelling on sin, it shapes everything we do. You dwell on it. You think about it. That image, that thing. Maybe it's something that God would not call lovely or beautiful. Did you know God hates some things? These would be things that God calls ugly. The Bible talks about them. I mean, just to give a couple examples, first of all, Proverbs 6, 17-19 lists seven things that God hates. He hates haughty eyes, a lying tongue, hands that shed innocent blood, a heart that devises wicked schemes that are quick to rush into evil, a false witness who pours out lies, and a person who, con who stirs up conflict in the community. Proverbs 8.13, God says, I hate pride and arrogance, evil behavior and perverse speech. Those are just a few of the things that God hates. There are things that God calls ugly that we should not allow our mind to dwell on, to rest in, to go over to. How many messes have been created between people and communities because they have allowed these types of things and others into their mind to begin with? Instead, Paul says, think about what is lovely, not what's ugly. Think about what honors God, what pleases Him. Dream of new ways to please Him, to serve Him, to do things for Him, and then encourage other people to do the same. Think about what God is doing in your life and other people's lives, has done and will do. Those are lovely things to think about, to think on. He went on, he said, think about whatever is admirable. To be admirable is something worthy of God's approval. It's a good reputation. In some languages, the word can be translated as what people should praise. What people should praise. Things that are praiseworthy, admirable. They're good things that please God. Actions and activities that are noteworthy. And some translations translate the word into English as of good report. So how about instead of dwelling on and focusing on the bad stuff of life, which is plenty of it to go around, what, what about instead of allowing it to take up residence between our ears, what if we did something different? What if we dwelled on the positive 
instead. This isn't a matter of burying our heads in the sand and pretending it doesn't exist. Remember, Paul started with thinking about whatever is true. So it's acknowledging the realities that are out there, but it's not living there. It's not allowing our minds to live there. I understand this is difficult to shift gears. I mean, we're continuously bombarded with all the negative around us. And it's difficult to shift our gears to begin seeing the good around us instead. That's what we must do. We must look for the good stuff, the praiseworthy stuff, the admirable stuff. It's the very thing that we must do if we want to move out of how it is to how it should be. We must do the hard work of looking for the admirable qualities in people. We must do the hard work of focusing on the admirable actions of others. We must bring those things to the forefront of our minds, the forefront of our conversations. Think about that good stuff that God is doing. Think about that. Put your mind there. Live in the good rather than in the bad. Choose to see the positives around you. And if you can't see the good stuff that God is doing, the problem's right here. It's not that God isn't doing the good stuff. The Gospels tell us how Jesus couldn't do miracles in certain community be, communities because they didn't believe. Well, sometimes we just can't see what God is doing, not because God isn't doing it. Because we're not opening our minds to see God doing it. Look for the admirable things. Choose to see the positives around you. Choose to see God at work. Paul said, think about what is excellent. These are acts that bring out wonder. Powerful deeds done by God and His people. Peter used this word when he was talking about what Christ followers are to do as we tell others about God. He said it in 1 Peter 2.9, he says, But you, that's Christ followers, are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, so that you may declare the praises, it's that word, of Him who called you out of darkness into His wonderful light. As Christ followers, you see, that's what we were saved to do, to let other people know about what God is doing. These are things that we can think about, that we should be thinking about. Thinking about what God has done in and around you. How has God worked in you? What has He done in other people? Those are some things to talk about. God really is awesome. His love is amazing. He is always displaying His glory and power all around us. Are we overlooking it? Are we not opening our eyes to see it? Are we not intentionally trying to find it? Choose to look for it. Then think about it. Make your mind go there. Allow those things to fill your mind. Finally, Paul said, think about whatever is praiseworthy. This has to do with speaking of the excellence of a person, a place, or a thing. In many ways, you could say, this is that stuff that we're to be talking about that we just looked at. Praise can, be, can only be expressed by actually saying details. To say, I praise you, God, is to say nothing at all. But to praise God is to talk about who He is. To talk about the good stuff He's done. To praise somebody, you, you're not really saying any, anything if you say, I praise them. 
What are you saying about them? What is it that you are praising about them? See, that's what Paul's talking about here. He's talking about those details, those things that we do or somebody else does. It requires for us to think about praiseworthy things. It requires that we say something. Let me give some examples. To praise God is to say something good about Him. God is loving. It's, it's to talk about things along those lines. To praise someone is to say what they have done who they are, and and so on. To praise an event is to talk about it, what was good about it, what made it excellent. To think about praiseworthy things is to think about the good in people, in places, in things. Let me give some examples here, okay? Uh, I believe, to me, a good thing, a praiseworthy thing, our church, it's a praiseworthy thing because most of the time, almost everybody who comes in here, one of their, their, their for the uh, first time people, one of the top things they talk about is how this church is so welcoming and friendly. And how when they come in, they are made to feel welcome here. That's a praiseworthy thing. That's something good to think about. Our church is great in how it, it looks at, or how, how so many people are growing in their love for God. I could tell you about individual people that I'm sure don't want their names mentioned, but I watch them. I'm not alone in that. And I see how they're growing in their love for God. God's love for us is great. And that His mercies are new every morning. And and how it is that He can accept even a sinner like me with what I have done and what I struggle with. Those, Those are praiseworthy things. Those are things to think about. What God has done is doing. Praiseworthy things are actual things to think about. So think about them. Look for them. Choose to think about the good things. Don't dwell on the bad. You know, Satan wants to discourage us with life. He wants us discouraged in life. So he regularly inspires in us bad thoughts, negative thoughts. The opposite of everything Paul talked about here. He helps us, he helps Christians and non-Christians alike to see the bad in church. And as a result of that, they want to be involved in church less and less often. He, Satan comes along and he helps us to see the bad or the flaws or the mistakes that other people make so we can hold it against them. So that we don't find healing in our interpersonal conflicts. He, he reminds us of how those other people did something to hurt us or somebody we love. And we remember that. He continually reminds us. Because he knows that if if we could see the good, if we could look at the good, then maybe we wouldn't hold that stuff anymore. That we would realize who we are before God and the grace that we have received from Him. And we'd forgive them too. So what Paul is teaching here He's teaching us to choose differently than what comes naturally. He's, cho- he's teaching us to choose differently than what Satan feeds us. And in the end, by choosing differently, we're telling Satan to take a hike. We're telling him we don't want to live that way anymore. We want to live better. We want to live how God created us to live. We want to be the people He called us to be. We want to think about the good stuff. Not just the bad. 
We alter the course of our mind so we can stay on track with God. We choose to make God, you see, greater than our thoughts. What we think on shapes all of life. When we choose to make God greater than our thoughts, it changes everything for us. The direction of life, what we say, what we feel, what we do, it's shaped by what we think about. Father, we thank you. Father, we thank you.